Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne writers Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you. Hello Michelle Andrews. Hello Zara McDonald. Coming up on today's show, the radio campaign that uses silence to talk about mental health, plus we need to talk about the Logies and the celebrity sexual assault story that slipped through the cracks this week. But first, Zara, do tell me, how was your week? <laughs> what a week! <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> completely disorienting. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, it was a tricky week in parts, but also a brilliant week in others. We had all three of Shameless Media's podcasts hit the top 10 in the Australian charts this week, which was awesome. Yeah, it was so, so, so good to see. You guys were so lovely and so receptive and so kind about our latest project, She's on the Money, which we aren't hosting. The lovely Victoria Devine and Annabelle Lee are hosting that one. And thank you so much, first and foremost, for your support for that show, because we know we are pumping out this stuff (laughs) at reckless speed. And you guys could very easily be like, whoa, yeah, we're shoving it down your mouth. Like, so you relax. can easily just shut your mouth. <laughs> but you're not. And we so appreciate that so much. Both Love Etc. and She's on the Money. Um, their first seasons are going to go for 12 episodes. So there's just a lot of us at the moment. But we are loving the support of that. I have to say a generally big thank you to everybody after Friday's episode of Love Etc. I was going to ask you, how are yeah. you feeling? Because it went off and lots and lots and lots of people, as I expected, and I'm sure as you expected on some yeah. level, reached out to you and said, me too. This has been something that I've struggled with. How do you feel? It would be very confronting to have all of that at once. Well, we weren't working together very closely on Friday morning. We were doing separate things, separate projects. So I kind of just buried my head in the sand and threw my phone to the side. Like I genuinely put it on airplane mode because I just am much better when I deal with things in denial, which will be very ironic (laughs) for people after listening to that episode. Um, So I haven't actually got back to everybody slash anyone really um, because it's a lot to take in. There's probably about 300 messages sitting in my Instagram DMs alone. Mm. Um, But I promise you I will. But I think what's shocked me the most is I knew people were going to be generally nice. I don't think you're going to do something like that and people are going to be 
nasty. You'd hope not. You I would mean, genuinely hope not. It is the internet, so who fucked. really knows? But what surprised me the most was people that turned around and said, I had no idea that I had this, but now I do. Mm. So that alone has been incredibly warming and incredibly heartening and incredibly surprising. If I had a recommendation from this week, I accidentally started to Mari Kondo my life this afternoon and I got <laughs> halfway through and I was like, I've never had a bigger regret in my entire life. You have to push through that feeling though. I did. I absolutely pushed through but it's when you're sitting in your bedroom with a pile like piles of stuff around you thinking I have made a big mistake (laughs) and you realize there's no stopping like you have to keep going how many garbage bags of things um like six yeah I think I had six or seven and most of it just came out of my bedside table drawers I'm like how do these drawers hold so much shit that's the thing and my room doesn't feel that much like emptier and I'm like where was this stuff all sitting (laughs) it's like magic anywho while I was doing that I listened to the latest episode of philosophy with Clementine Ford Mm -hmm. I am not sure if you've listened to it yet no you will really really like it um, it's a super interesting chat for two reasons. Firstly, Will Anderson struggles through it and he admits that at the end. He felt kind of, he seemed a little frazzled and like he didn't know what to say, didn't want to say the wrong thing and he kept sort of apologising preemptively for things he might say. But Clem very much carried that conversation and I kind of liked the self-effacing self-awareness of Will Anderson in that mm. case. But Clem was super super intelligent and super calm and super reasonable and I think the reputation that she has online sometimes for being like too aggressive in her feminism too hot-headed or will something be completely dismantled by this interview like she is really a dream to listen to and so so smart and they have really great conversations around privilege so I'd very much recommend that there is nothing better than listening to an interview with two people and clicking out of it feeling smarter totally and I was thinking about things and nodding along and being like okay that's a really good point like I'm gonna hold that tight and carry that with me and I think that's my favorite thing is listening to something and thinking okay I'm genuinely going to pull that in and actually take that and hold that really close to me I love that how was your week sorry I stole that limelight for a very long time no it was really good I am sick you know when you can feel it coming for so so long and then you wake up one morning and you swallow and your throat hurts and your ears hurt we are both about five percent five percent away does that even make sense five seconds away five minutes away from falling apart oh my god I was like where the fuck is this going I don't even know I mean we're not going to fall apart just for anyone listening we are recording this very late at night. The Logies have just happened and we will get into that very, very soon. I think this might be the latest we've ever recorded, apart from when I ran from a plane after Bali to basically hop down, <laughs> record a podcast well, and then put re- it up. We've recorded super early. Like we've rec- we've done 4am records before, but we've never done like a 12am record. Because I'm a morning person, but that's okay. We're powering through. I did because I'm sick. I've been going around saying, oh, I'm an incubus of viral plague, which now that I say it out loud again, is such a wankerish thing to say. Totally wankery. But I said that to my sister. <laughs> She's like, oh my God, are you sick? I was like, yeah, I'm an incubus of viral plague. And she goes, what does incubus mean? I was like, oh, like an incubator. I don't know. It's a funny snobby way of just saying like, yeah, I'm kind of (laughs) sick. It's from... I have a great vocab. (laughs) I think it's from The Devil Wears Prada. Oh, It's a movie quote. Oh, right. Yeah. So I was like, incubus must mean like incubator, whatever. I Googled it. I had no idea that the only definition of incubus is a male demon believed to have sexual intercourse with sleeping women. Since when is that a thing? I hear the word incubus all the time and I had no idea that's what it is. So now I'm never, like, I'm never going to use that word again. In what circles are you moving in where you hear the word incubus all the time? I've heard it. I have heard it. I, I only ever it. hear it from you when you say, I am the incubus of viral plague, which is like the most niche sentence ever. But you say it like once every three months when you get sick. It's a movie quote. I swear to God, I don't know what movie it's from. I Googled it. Please can don't Google I, can it. Can I Google it while we're here? Okay, fine. I'm I don't swear know if we're to allowed God. to do this anymore. We actually haven't had any complaints about our real-time Google. 
actually. You know what I think it was? It's the Devil Wears Prada. When Emily is sick, Miranda yes. calls it an incubus of viral plague. An incubus is not a breeding ground or carrier of germs. It is, in general language, a burden. Oh, this fits you. But literally, look up. So I'm Googling you. didn't even you- get my joke. You're a burden, generally. <laughs> Originally, the word meant an evil spirit who visited women at night to have intercourse or nightmare. How do you have nightmare? <laughs> Oh my god, this tangent is ridiculous. How weird is that, right? I never knew that. Anyway, that's my little um, tidbit for the week. I did not know that was a definition that existed. And there you go. This is what happens when we record at 12 o'clock. Yeah. All right, my recommendation. I think I need to bring back the food recommendations. Remember last year, way, way, way back, I recommended chocolate and peanut butter oats. And you, for months at a time, were chastising me and belittling me and mocking me for my favourite breakfast meal and Zara McDonald. What do you tend to request every single morning when we're together now? I was just mocking you because I was playing character. Okay. It's much funner that way. You're such a good actress. Funner is not a word. Much more fun that way. Great. Well, you love the... I do. I actually do like your first recommendation. So what's your second one? My second one. So do you eat baked eggs? You do. Love baked eggs. We've had them before. There's a recipe on taste.com.au, which is like baked eggs, but instead of the eggs, you do halloumi. And instead of like chorizo, you do mincemeat. I also do chorizo because chorizo is life. It is so yum. Are you looking at the recipe right now? You lost me at mincemeat. I think it's... Oh, no. I know know it sounds really weird, and I'm sorry for all the vegans and vegetarians among us. I've clicked into the recipe. There's something about mincemeat that puts me off, which doesn't stop me ever cooking it. Like, I hate the theory of mincemeat. The reality is very easy. Can you let me make you this? Because I actually think you'd like it. Anyway, it's called Speedy Mince and Halloumi One Pot on taste.com.au. Highly, highly recommend. It's one of the easiest dishes I've ever made in my life. It's great for wintertime, and Mitch loves it as well, and I just think it's a great recipe. So go on. And make it. I'm a skeptic, but I'll let you cook it for me. <laughs> All right. First segment for the day. National radio station Triple M is not doing any shows, any ads, any announces, any news or any traffic today in honour of Beyond Blue and men's mental health. This was a really warming thing to see pop up on my newsfeed. I think the first time I saw it was, I don't listen to Triple M. I'm not even in their target demographic, but... It was a really warming ad to see on Facebook. They did these really powerful promos on Facebook, which were, were were silent videos. And it was just basically some of their biggest stars not saying anything and just with captions over it talking about why they weren't speaking. Yep. So Eddie Maguire, Will Anderson, exactly. all of their big talent. Yeah, Luke Darcy. Well, that was the Melbourne video. And they did one for each city using each of the you know main city's talent. And it is done in conjunction with Beyond Blue. And I, the first thing I thought in a similar vein to the AFL's work with men and mental health is that these big institutions have the ears and eyes and sort of trust of so many men across the country. And I would argue that men and mental health is something that we're not really nailing at all at the moment. The conversation is completely lacking for an issue that's huge. I mean, according to Beyond Blue, and Triple M do say this in a lot of their promo videos, 65,000 people will attempt suicide signed in Australia this year alone eight will die every day and six of those people will be men yeah it's horrifying it's horrendous I mean I think everyone listening to this right now would know of a man who is struggling with their mental health and probably doesn't speak about it enough or isn't getting the help that he needs I certainly do in many of my circles that I'm in I know men who desperately need mental health support but probably don't feel like they have the tools to go out and get it I think this is amazing a small caveat to this is that they are doing it in the non-ratings period and I do find that interesting I know that in our Facebook group when someone posted this saying what an amazing initiative it is lots of listeners came back and said well instead of just having radio silence why don't they have discussions about mental health for 12 hours at a time and 
my rebut to that would be that's not going to cut through media and mm. that's not going to get attention. You saying, oh, well, we're going to have conversations about mental health for 12 hours straight would just turn people off because they go, well, I don't really want to talk about it. I'm not in the mood to talk about that or it's listen a, to that. It's draining, right? It yeah. can be draining and it's heavy and sometimes you just want light relief. This is There's sort of like this shock element to it that's really, really important, particularly with big campaigns like this. You need that shock element. And for me, silence is so uncomfortable. I mean, ask anyone who finds themselves in a car with me and they won't be <laughs> a period of silence because I'll feel the need to fill it. Like I find silence uncomfortable and watching those promo videos I found uncomfortable because you're kind of left with nothing but your own thoughts. And I love that it's being used here in a really clever way. It gives you no distractions. And when you're given no distractions and you're sort of faced with the harsh reality of what's going on, you're forced to actually think about it quite deeply. Totally. And I know that I've harped on about this before, but it does annoy me that Triple M makes this step and does this promotion and will lose thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars from this because they won't have any ads play during the day. I don't like that people then come back and go, well, why are you doing a non-ratings period? Why aren't you doing X, Y, and Z? Because at least they're doing something. Oh, that is completely irrelevant to me. Like, why are they doing it in a non-ratings period? Like, it's just bad business. Like, we cannot have our cake and eat it too. We cannot have thriving businesses with a platform and ones that want to give back every day of the week. Mm. In order to have that platform, they actually need to make smart business decisions and they can't do this stuff all the time. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that Triple M do, like I just said, have the ears of an audience who are traditionally masculine. Traditionally masculine in a sense that Triple M is the station that is anecdotally played across a lot of job sites, like construction sites, sites yeah. and they are very male-dominated industries. And I think whether by choice or by virtue of their industries and like the expectations and stereotypes that exist around that, this is really important. I mean, according to SCA's 2017 annual report, Triple M's network audience is skewed towards male in the 25 to 54 age bracket and they have 3.5 million listeners a week majority men like that's a huge audience that they are uh leveraging in a really important way you know what i love as well i think the timing of this is really interesting because it was only earlier this month that robin bailey who hosts triple m's big breakfast in brisbane came out and she kind of targeted one of the nightly programs i think it was like a 60 minutes or a sunday night and they ran a whole segment talking about guy sebastian's close friend dying by suicide and in the entire segment didn't use the word suicide they said oh he lost his battle with mental health and robin bailey who lost her husband to suicide in 2014 went on that radio program and said, we need to find the tools to talk about this. We need to use the word. The word's important because if we don't use the word, it's still shrouded in this veil of secrecy. And she said, we need to find tools and spaces for men to be open about this and have the vocabulary to talk about it. So for her to be one of Triple M's main talent and main pull factors to their Brisbane show, I do find it really curious that they've done this only a few weeks later. I wonder how long it was in the blueprint for this non-ratings period because they only announced it last week. Yeah, that's a really good point. And really interesting by Robin Bailey too. I mean, it's like a, a really important point. That said, I think people are still trying to navigate how to use the language around this and the kind of correct use of language and sort of the most powerful use of language around this. And I think people are sort of starting to get used to it and learning. And there has to be an element of patience there. That said, really important that she actually just like shuts it down 
brutally, to be honest, because it's far more powerful from her that way. I mean, it did remind me of the Willosophy episode that I just touched on with Clem Ford and how those two spoke really beautifully on the topic of how the patriarchy hurts men as much as it hurts women. And I think when Clementine Ford talks a lot about feminism, people assume she's just always talking about women. And, and she she jokes very early on in that episode that she's often accused of being man-hater, like consistently every single day. And I think that's not, definitely not the first time we've ever spoken about this on the podcast. I almost feel like a broken record, but, but I think... I think the fight to sort of like dismantle toxic masculinity, the fight for feminism does as much good for men as it does for women. And it's these conversations that will happen the more that we're able to talk about feminism in a safe and productive way. Totally. And I mean, if it's the number one killer of men aged between 18 and 44, almost anything that tries to help the cause at this rate, I will welcome with open arms. I think it's amazing that Mike Fitzpatrick, who is the boss of Triple M, decided to do this. I'm glad that All of their big names are getting behind it. And I just think it's something to be applauded and something to probably pat Triple M on the back about. Oh, completely. I think it's absolutely warranted that we pat them on the back. I think it's so easy with a job like ours to pick things apart and hold people to account. And it's it's makes our job a little bit easier. It's an easier job when you're analyzing something from a negative standpoint. It's it's not as often that we probably boost people up as much as we try to like tear them down. (laughs) No, I would not say tear down. Maybe I would say hold to account. But I think anything that's a conversation around men and mental health that is mainstream can only be good for everybody. Agree. Moving on to a lighter note, I'm going to go into my emails and find this. I'm nervous. Do you remember how we were doing the Zara remixes? I didn't want to bring in a Zara remix last week because I thought it was a bit of an odd note to finish that first segment and be like, anyway, here's Zara saying, cash me outside, how about that? I had completely forgotten about them. Someone posted in our Facebook group after Monday's episode saying, where the (laughs) fuck was the remix? And I was like, oh my goodness, I completely forgot this was a thing. I went on holidays and thought we'd all forgotten. I mean, I don't know. You guys don't forget. I'm only going to play the ones that I really appreciate. I was sent a few and I played them and I was like, Brutal. No, I just wanted to be up to scratch. Now, this might breach copyright. I'm not entirely sure. However, we are friendly with the musicians involved. We don't have any musician friends. (laughs) Not our friends, but we're friendly with them. Okay, play it and then I'll tell you if we're friendly. Who are we friends with that play music? Become a joke. I've actually become a joke every single time you play one of these. I think, I think, what the fuck am I doing with my job? Also, we are not friends with the Veronicas. We need to be the friendly. We're friendly with them. Okay, hopefully they won't mind our use of the world's greatest song. Oh my goodness, that is ridiculous. Who made that? That is from Tyler, who works at Beaky Pub, but she DJs what is considered party sets around Melbourne and is made a thing of playing untouched in unexpected moments. So, So can I get a little like cashmere cameo? Outside, how about that? Can I get a cameo at these clubs? I mean, no. No one knows you. Tyler. No one knows who you are. Yeah, but... <laughs> Do you think you're a celebrity, Zara? No, absolutely not. I just want it played. I want my voice played to the masses. I'm Gee. kidding. 
three shows in the top ten, you got a big head already. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> How can I get a big head when every single week I'm faced with a remix of someone quoting me saying the most ridiculous thing ever? Thank you, Tyler. All right, quick and dirty time. Let's do it. Each week we give you five stories from the, the rough and tumble. <laughs> stole my line of the celebrity news cycle. From the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle, Michelle, you are running the quick and dirty this week. What have we got? All right, number one, Queen Constance Hall reveals financial struggles in Frank Facebook posts. That is from news.com.au. And Zara put this in because I think we can relate to Constance Hall in this instance. So what was she saying? What? I mean, elaborate on that before you say we can relate. So, I mean, the crux of her post was she said in a few comments to people that she was chronically underselling herself in her business. She sells skirts and apparel and she's made decisions based on whether or not she wants to be liked over whether or not she wants to make money. So is she quoting clients? Is she quoting customers, like followers? Are we talking about when she quotes a brand for something or when she's quoting someone for a skirt? I think when she she means the skirt price. Right. And she said she's in a bit of financial strife over it, that she has struggled after a few legal cases. She has struggled to pay off mortgage, things like that. She did come out. There were a few news reports that reported that she was bankrupt or verging on bankrupt. And she corrected that. She said, I'm not bankrupt. I'm doing okay. I'm just struggling right now and I'll make some decisions to kind of improve my financial standing. But I do relate to her in that she wants to be liked over wants to be profitable because I think we've made financial decisions in our own business in the past because we don't want to quote what we think we're worth. Well, we didn't know. I, th- I think it's it's really hard to know what you're worth until after you get the quote and it's agreed upon and it's agreed upon very quickly and you wonder maybe we undersold ourselves way too much. We've done it a lot and I think it's a couple of things. It's our age, it's our naivety, it's our gender and I think a lot of women across the board would experience exactly the same thing. I think it's something that we're going to rectify and rectify very, very quickly but I think it does come down to that likability scale or that likability factor and like I don't want to seem like I have tickets on myself or I don't want to be laughed out of that room. Yeah, or overpriced yourself and feel like you're an idiot and that you aren't worth what you're asking for. But the reverse of it, where you are underselling yourself means that you go into a job and consistently feel like I'm doing good work and I'm just not being rewarded. So you almost lose motivation in that way as well, because you just feel like you're turning up for an absolute pittance. Well, that's the thing. And you end up becoming maybe, and I don't feel like we've got to that point at all in our jobs, but the risk you run, I think by chronically underselling yourself is resenting the work that you're doing because it doesn't feel worth it. Mm. And I don't think we're at that point by any stretch, but I I do think it's the kind of thing that we need to catch ourselves and a lot of women need to catch ourselves before they get to that point. You've got to play a long game, not a short game. Yeah. And I'm happy bloggers like Constance Hall have come out and said this because I think it means that we're in the first year of having our own business and we can probably self-correct quite quickly. And I reckon that's an incredibly common experience. Like I think that there will be every woman maybe listening to this saying, yeah, first year of running a business. Totally. That's what I did too. It's super interesting reading this because as I'm thinking about it, Constance Hall, I remember maybe it was an interview she did with Mia Friedman where she was talking about having money for the first time ever and that experience of actually being able to afford things. Do you remember that? I think it was after a book did really well. Yeah. Like a queen. It feels like a, a quick turnaround. Yeah. I think once you, especially if you haven't had much money in the past and then you come into a large sum of money, I'm sure we can explore this on Cheese and the Money anyway. <laughs> plug. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that would be a struggle that a lot of women have. And shameless men. plug. I mean, what am I if I'm not shameless? <laughs> Second story, Jacqueline Hill deleted her Twitter and Instagram accounts following backlash against her disastrous lipstick launch. That is from Inside. Do you know anything about this story? 
Not a thing. Who is Jacqueline Hill? I knew you were going to ask me this and you got so annoyed at me the other day because I said I didn't know somebody else and you were like, you are a pop culture journalist. How do you not know who that is? Well, you humble brag about not knowing YouTubers. Yeah, that's actually so true. It's a complete snobbery thing. I think it's your job to know who the major YouTubers in the world. You called my bluff pretty well that afternoon. You were like, you do know who they are. You're trying to be a snob. Like, (laughs) stop pretending. I am like, I am absolutely being smug about it. I don't know who Jacqueline Hill is and I'm not trying to be an idiot. Okay, fine. Jacqueline Hill is one of the world's biggest beauty YouTubers. So she has been around. YouTube is my blind spot and you know that. Yeah, I know. And you need to correct it. Anyway, (laughs) onwards. She has been big on YouTube for about 10 years. She probably has upwards of 5 million followers on Instagram. You're probably Googling her right now. (laughs) Yeah, but I've accidentally Googled Acklin Hill instead of Jacqueline into my rush to get it up. Classic. So she has been teasing about launching this lipstick brand for years. I think it was upwards of five years now where she said she's going to launch Jacqueline Cosmetics and there's just been delay after delay after delay. She finally launched her lipsticks at the beginning of this month, sent them all out. The ones in PR packages that went to influencers were generally fine, pretty perfect. The ones that went to customers had a litany of mistakes and errors and problems with them. There was hair found in some. There was mold. There was random little bumps like plastic bubbles that were floating to the top. There was shards of metal, I think. Just like the most bizarre things happening to these lipsticks. I'm sure if someone wants to put, maybe I'll put a photo of them in the Facebook group so you guys can see. Like actually disgusting the photos of these lipsticks that were coming out of her brand. I think this is an interesting time because I think more than ever, influencers and beauty gurus like Jacqueline Hill are being held to account for kind of like shoddy products and shoddy launches that aren't up to scratch with what you might see out of, I don't know, Maybelline or L'Oreal or MAC Cosmetics. Well, I think it's fraud. Like genuinely, I think if you've made money off a really loyal following base for years on end and put products in front of them and sponsored posts in front of them for years and then you decide to do your own, it is your absolute fundamental baseline responsibility to put out a good product or else this is going to happen. I have to say though, doesn't it feel like Groundhog Day? Like I feel like once a month an influencer starts a business where this happens. Well, I think it might boil down to a little bit of arrogance. I think so. People think that, and we've had this conversation a few times in that you can kind of see an influencer think that they should start a business. So they try to do it really fast and really quickly and then it falls apart. And this was the problem here. And I think on top of that, it was also her response. I think so many influencers need to go out and get media training as to how to deal with situations like this, because all of a sudden after the launch and after um, actual buying customers starting their product, one girl went online and tweeted her and tagged Jacqueline Hill and said, I don't know why my lipstick looks like this. It's hurting my lips. Like it's cutting them when I drag it across because of these stupid plastic bubbles. Oh my gosh. Zara, gross. Literally go on Twitter and look Can at the I photos because it is disastrous. I feel like we're becoming the world's most annoying podcast is Googling. I hope everybody's listening to this I'm on sure their phone they're and Googling. they're Googling too. Totally. Everyone Google together. A communal Google session. <laughs> so disgusting. She responded to this customer in a really vile way, like almost mocked her and sent her loyal fans after this customer, basically calling her a liar and as if she was calling these lipsticks out and posting about these lipsticks just to get a bit of attention. They look like they've got sand in them. It's fucked. Like, sorry, Jacqueline Hill. Pretty sure you don't listen to Shameless anyway, but absolutely (laughs) fucked that this could be released. It does make me more impressed now, though, 
when an influencer goes and starts a business and acknowledges that they spent maybe two years working on it and the launch is really strong. The first one that pops to mind very recently was when Chloe Zepp released her activewear line. Yeah, that looks really good. And it was a really strong launch. It all sold out a lot. And I don't think people like that also get enough credit for how hard that is. I think there's a sense now, and we often say on this podcast, like what are influencers going to do with their platform if they haven't leveraged that into a business idea? What's their future? Um, I think the flip side of that is what we don't acknowledge in that it's not easy starting a business. It's really fucking hard Mm. and you've got to do it right. It's expensive as well. It's really expensive and um, completely energy and time sucking. You know what? You can always tell the influencers who haven't thought it through properly in that they don't have a second drop. They might have one line, say they're selling bathers or watches or whatever. They release one line and then it's like six to 10 months until they launch the second line. It's like they just planned the first one and didn't forward plan after that. But I also don't blame that. I think as a young person trying to start a business, it's really hard to know the right way to go about it. And it's hard not to fuck up. I mean, it's, it's, I, I say it's hard not to fuck up. I mean, it's, it's pretty easy to avoid putting metal in your lipsticks, I would think, but that's for another time. One of the excuses. So people were posting photos of their lipstick with like white hair coming out of oh it. Oh my goodness. And it looks like mold. I don't think it's, there's anything conclusive yet. There is one scientist Alleged in Canada. mold. There's one Canadian scientist who has sent it to a lab to actually get oh feedback goodness. on what's in these lipsticks. But Jacqueline Hill came back and said, oh yeah, we use white fuzzy gloves in our lab. Who the fuck would use white fuzzy gloves in a cosmetics lab where you're dealing with lipstick and like, have you ever seen a white fuzzy hair on a lipstick that you've bought? No. No. Anyway. No, sorry. (laughs) Here I am thinking. No. Interesting. Yeah. You'd think they'd use the old uh, clear plastic gloves, but. (laughs) Mm. She has ended up deleting her Twitter and Instagram account. She's kept up the Jacqueline Cosmetics account, but her personal accounts are deleted and they had millions of followers. I'm sure she's just disabled them. They'll be back. Sure. I mean, that was very hyperbolic of me and a bit dumb. You're right. She's definitely disabled them. (laughs) (laughs) My third story. Here's what Kourtney Kardashian eats in a day. That is from Women's Health. For those who missed it, how dare you all. Are you fucking kidding me? She announced on Poosh her answer to goop has push not been closed yet no push is still kicking quite smug and dismissive and snobby of me she announced that she's back on the keto diet and then she wrote an article about what she eats in her day to feel her best now you tell me what if i think it's bullshit i can tell you without a no 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 it will be she she would eat this in a day if you've watched an episode of keeping up with the kardashians this woman is anal about anything that goes into her body which is her right like throw my hands in the air no judgment but a little bit of judgment. Listen to what she eats in a day and give me your thoughts. For breakfast, Kourtney Kardashian drinks an avocado smoothie. For lunch, she has a salad with turkey, a base of mixed greens and egg whites. For dinner, she has chicken with cauliflower rice and snacks during the day to get her by. She has green tea, bone broth and nuts. Where the cookies at? Where? Like literally what? Where is the joy? That is the saddest day on a plate I have ever read in my life. I, if I had any power in the world, and this is also going to be incredibly hyperbolic, so don't take it literally. (laughs) If I had any power in the world to get rid of anything, I would get rid of day on a plate. Really? Oh my goodness. I can't articulate my hate for them more. Nobody's telling the truth apart from maybe Chloe Kardashian. Or is this Courtney Kardashian? Th- Courtney Kardashian. Oh, dear, hun. Oh, <laughs> they all merge into the same person. I'm kidding. Good pop culture journalist here. <laughs> I just think this is a very, very sad day on a plate. What if is anyone... the point of a day on the plate? Nobody's telling the plate? truth. So it's just complete bullshit. Do you want to know my day on a plate? And I'll tell you the complete truth from today. 
Have we done this before? No. I'll give you mine. You give me yours. And listeners today? can oh listeners can leave their downer plate in the Facebook group. I'll make a thread. My downer plate is super grim today. Okay, my downer plate is also super grim because it's Sunday and I'm sick. And when I'm sick, I'm not one of those people who's like, I don't like food. I eat all of the food. Oh. Um, I skip breakfast because. Oh, whatever. I had about five cups of tea for breakfast. Then I had a full pizza, homemade pizza, like on mountain bread for lunch. Then I had a keep it cleaner protein bar. Are they protein bars? Yeah. I had had one of those too. And that's also not sponsored. Yeah, there you go. Love the keep it cleaner protein bars. Then I had a bowl of chocolate oats with double chocolate, double peanut butter. Then we're about to have cookies and ice cream to get us through tonight. And I've had about, in total, across the day, like I had five teas around breakfast time. Wow, I, I just 20. tuned out halfway through of that. <laughs> Michelle. Is that bad though, to have 20 cups of tea in Probably. a day? It's when I'm sick. Like my body craves English breakfast tea. Like I'm drinking one right now. you can right roll now. me into number four? No. What's, what's your day on the plate? Tell me. What did I have today? See, I had a, fu- a shocking day food-wise. Tell my weekends me. are going, I'm, I'm going on a drinking ban for a few weeks, I think, just to like. I thought you were going to say juice cleanse. I'm no, like, I'm going on a drinking ban because we have a lot of work in the next couple of weeks and we've decided, haven't we? You'll stop drinking brag. too. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, where is this going? Your anyway, day on a plate, please. It was a big weekend. I had a chicken burger for lunch. <laughs> Did you also skip breakfast? Yeah, I skipped breakfast completely. <laughs> don't endorse that. Don't normally do that. I had a keep a clean protein bar in the afternoon. Completely not sponsored. And then I had pasta for dinner. Yum. What kind oh of God, pasta? Carbs. It was actually lasagna. I don't know why I said pasta. And then we're about to have cookies. I know. See? Cookie loading. I'm on the keto diet too. Number four, Michelle. This is the world's longest quick and dirty. <laughs> <laughs> the first Charlie's Angels trailer is here, but don't call them angels. That is from Refinery29. Do you know much about this? I've never seen Charlie's Angels. Neither. Oh my goodness, really? Yeah, uh, maybe we should watch it together. I th- oh, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it'd be filled with like sexist innuendo and bullshit. Because you know when you watch shows or movies that are from ages ago, like when I watched Seventeen again and realised that's the one with Zac Efron. Yeah, no, no. I realised it's the most sexist is movie. It really? Oh my god, Zara. See, Charlie's Angels. Even the concept of is like a little weird. Well, I think they've done like a feminist reboot because now the don't angels. Call them angels. The angels don't belong to a man. They belong to Elizabeth Banks' character. Oh, I don't mind that. Yeah, it's not bad. So it's Elizabeth Banks who is in charge of the angels, who aren't angels. I don't know what the fuck to call them. There's Kristen Stewart, Naomi Scott, Ella Belinska, who is new to the acting scene or like big time. Can I say the only one I know there is Elizabeth Banks and Kristen Stewart, actually. She looks really good in this movie. P.S. What do you think of the concept Koshy's Angels? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry? You know how Koshy on Sunrise has a segment Koshy's Angels? No. It's like a spinoff of that he gets three women and he asks them questions about. I just feel like it's a bit. I'm almost proud that I didn't know that was a segment. You watch Sunrise, do you? No, sometimes it comes up on Twitter. <laughs> Number five. I didn't finish. Sorry. Stop trying to move me along. All the music, I do like this part. All the music is basically by really like hype. All the music is by women from what I can tell. So most of the soundtracks are from Ariana Grande, Lana Del Rey and Miley Cyrus. That gets a big tick from me. Tick. I think women musicians don't get enough of the spotlight and I'm really glad that they are. No, genuinely, I hope this does well at the box office. But they, women, female-led movies have proved that they can make money. Like Wonder Woman, what was the other one? Ghostbusters made money? Are you telling me women want content for women by women? That is madness. What a niche. Don't spread it out too much or else we'll be overtaken. <laughs> Am I allowed to go to my fifth one now? Yes, you absolutely can. Okay, story five and my final story for this week's Quick and Dirty. It was harder to connect with fans. Jacinta Campbell launches fashion and beauty app after being frustrated with Instagram's controversial algorithm. That is from the Daily Mail. This is very interesting, this story. So she told the Daily Telegraph 
on Sunday that she had launched the Jacinta Jacinta Franklin app. It's always funny when Daily Mail refused to call people by their married names. Mm-hmm. Anywho, she started an app because she says the algorithm was hard to you know crack through Instagram. I don't know if this is the future. I don't think it is. I mean, power to Jacinta Campbell if this is the way she wants to go. I actually downloaded the app to have a quick look. It kind of feels like something like Poosh but with less wankery. It's like a, it's like a lifestyle content. blog, right? Yeah, it's in like an a lifestyle platform. blog in the yeah. app. I think the way she'll monetize it is probably getting sponsors on the app to like take up ad space or sponsor mm. articles or whatever. I'm not entirely sure it will work though because Kim Kardashian West deleted her app. I think it was Kim like Kim Kardashian takes Hollywood or something like that. I don't think celebrity apps are still very relevant in 2019. I think they had a real uh, surge to, I think they had a real rise to popularity in 2016, but since then it's very much tapered off. And I can't think of many celebrities where this medium has worked for them. Well, they kind of peaked at the same time that lifestyle blogs peaked and celebrity lifestyle blogs peaked and they have since sort of fallen away. We're lazy. Like we are incredibly lazy. <laughs> you and me or the general public? General. You guys. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we, To be honest, like, yes, Instagram is hard to cut through, but that's where everybody is. Nobody's getting off that platform. In fact, nobody's even going to Facebook anymore. Like the only place we are living in is Instagram. I totally agree. I, I just can't see a world where I would go to a separate app to connect with someone I can also get on Instagram, but I will be super intrigued genuinely prove me wrong it's very interesting though because apps are so expensive i looked into making Mm. an app with my sister years ago i remember this and i was really hell-bent on the idea until i learned how much it costs to make an app and a basic app. it's a big investment an incredible investment so so. she must feel really passionately about this and maybe and hopefully it does work out that's the thing it's not going to be a whim and you would think behind this would be a bunch of research to work out where her followers are and where her audience is so i will watch this very intently to see how it goes amazing That's all for today's Quick and Dirty. Thank you so much. Yesterday was the 61st annual TV Week Logies, Australia's slightly bogan answer to America's Emmys or the UK's BAFTAs. The main award at the Logies is, of course, the Gold Logie, the accolade that it is awarded to Australia's most popular television personality. Or so we pretend that it is. But this week, things ran a little bit differently, Zara. The weeks leading up to the Gold Logie Award announcement were shrouded in a tiny bit of controversy. Before we dive into all of that and Tom Gleeson's win, let's talk about the red carpet really quickly and give me one look that you like from the night. Ooh, um, I very much like Rebecca Harding's dress. Oh. I also really like Georgia Love's one too. I, I really get into the feathers trend that's going on at the moment. Lots of women like Lisa Wilkinson had a bit of feathering, so did Rebecca Harding. I think they were my favourites. Along with Sharon Johel who had a bright orange yeah, dress on. Yeah, lovely. She's a Neighbours star? Yeah. Star? Yeah. Star? Actress? Actress? I don't know. Is anyone on Neighbours a star apart from maybe Margot Robbie? One of my best friend's little sister is on Neighbours. I'm going to tell her that you said that. What's her name? Uh, Varney Durr. Varney just got a shout out. Varney, She's... you're a star. There you go. <laughs> um, let's dive into Tom Gleeson though, because I imagine this is where we're going to spend much of the time today. Tom Gleeson walked away with the gold Logie at the end of last night with one of the most awkward, uncomfortable, funny, cringeworthy speeches I've ever heard. I think we should catch people up because I think a lot of people wouldn't have been covering and chasing and um, reading about the controversy leading up to this. Especially international listeners. So let's recap. The Gold Logie, as we said in the intro, is basically the TV award of the country. Like everyone kind of vies for this one award if you're in the entertainment industry. The Gold Logie is it. That said, 
it's not like an Oscar and it's not heralded as the be all and end all. It's kind of giggled at a little bit. The Logies are a bit naff. But it's all we've got. It's all we've so got. So people have to pretend they don't care, but in reality it's the only thing we do have. And historically the Gold Logie acceptance speech and the Gold Logie winner has been kind of like a cultural touch point of every year. It says a lot about where we are culturally and especially in the entertainment industry. For example, when Waleed Ali won in 2016, he is Muslim and his speech was all about diversity and representation and people with, quote, unpronounceable names making it in an industry like this. The year Carrie Bickmore won and she spoke about the need for more brain cancer research because she lost her husband to brain cancer a few years prior. Then we had Samuel Johnson win and he spoke about the need for breast cancer awareness like lots of these award speeches have been massive moments in the Australian media landscape and then last year we saw a real pivot away from that. Correct so Grant Denyer the host of Family Feud at the time though Family Feud had been axed by the time the awards came around won the gold Logie and what had happened in that point is at the 11th hour in the week or two before the Logies went live a comedian by the name of Tom Gleason sort of hijacked the campaign and made a jokey campaign to get Grant Grant Denyer, who he had deemed the least worthy of all of the people in the lineup to win. Grant Denyer won. And ever since then, Tom Gleason has been campaigning as a joke to get himself the gold logie to prove how much of a joke the award actually is. Yeah. Well, last year, the punchline was let's get a guy who got his television show axed to win most popular personality because it's so ridiculous in Tom Gleason's eye that that would happen. Yeah. So at the time, Tom Gleason said, I used to be angry at the Logies because Denya was voted for gold for the popular personality on TV for a game show that had been axed due to low ratings on the third highest rating network. And I thought this is idiotic. Then I thought, why get angry when you can get behind the poor little bastard? So I thought, let's get in the gold Logie because it's perfect. (laughs) Let's push the Logies to its most most absurd extreme ever and give the gold logie to a guy that doesn't have a TV show. It's beautiful. And at the time, right, I thought that if Tom Gleason was pushing this so much, he must have had the approval of Grant Denyer. My brain just made that assumption. There's a grand plan. Yeah, because you wouldn't be so brazen in in rocking the boat with someone publicly like that. I seriously thought that Grant Denyer... <laughs> I was seriously thinking that Grant Denyer was welcoming Tom Gleason with yeah. open arms and saying, yes, please, this is a joke to me too, let's win it. It has since come out this year that that is the furthest thing from the truth. So Grant Denyer came out this week and said Gleason jumped on my campaign at the 11th hour. I didn't ask him to. I didn't really want him to, but I had no choice in that. Everybody in the country now thinks I won the award because of him. And if I'm honest, that shits me. He's done interview after interview after interview, claiming the victory last year. Forget the 20 years of work I put in to get to that particular point. I didn't even ask him to jump on board my campaign. Not only did Grant Denyer come out and say that, Amanda Keller came out and said she's really uncomfortable with what she labeled the school bully using the these kind of tactics to get ahead in an industry award ceremony that many of the people nominated actually take seriously and care about. This is where I feel very conflicted on so many sides. Tom Gleason responded to those two comments and said, I'm just reminding everyone not to take the Logies too seriously. And I suspect that's the way most of Australia sees it. I feel like if people are being offended by my antics, maybe they should reflect on their own ambitions. On the one hand, I kind of like the very Australian element to this story. Like this would not fucking happen anywhere else <laughs> where someone takes the piss and of the only institution, like genuine <laughs> institution that we have to celebrate TV stars so much so that they're up there accepting the award. On the other hand, 
are the Logies some hallowed, meaningless institution at all? I actually think for so much as we take the piece, they serve a purpose and there's worth in that. And the worth lies in all of the people that spend years and years and years in a really brutal, really tough, really unforgiving industry. And this is kind of the only way to recognise them. Well, I think as well, being in the public eye, yeah, you get rewarded sometimes in a monetary way. You might also might get rewarded in having a massive audience, but you cop so much shit. There aren't any accolades apart from really the gold Logie and the Logie Awards in general. For a lot of people, including people like Amanda Keller, who have been copping shit in this industry for decades, this night might have meant a lot to her. So for Tom Gleason to kind of run a fake smear campaign against her and then try and swell up all this public support to get votes would be kind of offensive. And I do see that. And I think for Grant Denyer, particularly the jab that Tom Gleason made up on stage saying that at least he got this award all on his own, it's not very clever comedy. And I feel like we come back to this a fair bit, that if your comedy is at the expense of other people mocking other people, it's not very clever or well-intentioned comedy. I don't know if Tom Gleason's comedy is ever particularly well-intentioned and I don't think he would care about that. I also don't know if much of Australia would agree with you. I think much of Australia would sit in front of that speech and find it fucking hilarious. I found it funny, but I found it more awkward than you and anything I, else. Yeah, but you and I were piecing ourselves because we didn't know how to respond. Did you read James Weir's piece in News.com prior to this going live? Yeah, it was awesome. And I think it really points to an Australian culture where people don't want to take things too seriously and taking things seriously is a really dorky thing. But I think sometimes it's good to be dorky and well, it's good to take yourself seriously when it matters. Well, that's what I loved so much about James Weir's piece. It was a very gentle look at, hey, I'm not super uptight about this, but also the Logies kind of matter. And it spoke to that real cognitive dissonance that's at play around the Logies. Like, yes, it's a bit of a joke. Yes, we love them for Carl Stefanovic's like working drunk or half-assed music performances or even two-assed music performances if we're talking <laughs> Delta. about Delta. <laughs> But it's the only platform that exists to celebrate work on television. And I think that's a deal, whether we like it or not. It's the reason that you will get people like Hamish and Andy to fly up to the Gold Coast to attend the awards, despite a a probably hectically busy schedule and a million better things to be doing, because they know in TV land, the awards matter, that however naff we think they are, they are commercially crucial for networks. I just think his speech in particular mocked a whole room of people. I think it was funny, yeah, but I also struggled to look at the screen for the majority of it. I also suspect that he was quite drunk. Well, he kept saying that. And I'm always skeptical of the person that's like, oh, I'm so drunk. Like, are you or do you just want people to think you are? I think he actually was. Did you see? He was basically downing a full glass of red while he was up there. His wife as well. When when the cameras cut to his wife and he was giving the longest speech I'd ever heard, his wife was shooting laser beam daggers at him to be like, get the fuck off the stage. But then he did say halfway through that very spectacularly long speech, I'm a comedian. I like jokes. This is what I do. And I turned to you and I said, okay, is this incredibly meta? Like, is the comedy the point here? Like, is he playing a part? Is he cracking a joke because he's playing this character because he wants to win the award? But in saying that, <laughs> am I giving him too much credit? You're giving him too much credit, I think. I Like, I do get it. I just, I roll my eyes a little bit because I'm kind of tired of people making fun of other people. And I think he could have done this in a way where he didn't make, if he got up there and made all the jokes that he made, bar the ones that pointed to Grant Denyer's award last year, bar the ones that pointed to, I don't know, the various people he's offended along the way, it would have been a fine 
acceptance speech. But there's that layer of nastiness that's there that I just don't find palatable. It's like pull it back 20% and you've almost nailed it. Even even 10%. Yeah. Like just that little bit where it's not that. But then that's Tom Gleason's brand. Like his, his entire brand and his entire career is built off hard chat. Mm. Like it's not easy comedy and it's not palatable comedy. It's harsh, brutal, uncomfortable comedy. I think our perspective on this depends entirely on who we think benefits from the awards and what that benefit actually is. I think maybe the benefit is twofold. I think first it's network benefit, um, which I don't care so much about, but I do think networks benefit a heap if, you know, people win. And I think the second is for the TV stars themselves. I think they have to pretend that they don't take it seriously when I think they absolutely do. They, like we keep saying and we keep, you know, circling back to, they have no other avenue to be recognised. It's huge for them commercially and it's incredibly important for credibility. I mean, hello, Wally Dali, who won after not being in the but industry But this for undermines very long. all that. Exactly. I agree with yeah. you. And I think separately it can help them champion some pretty amazing courses. So I would be pretty pissed off if I was Wally Dali, Carrie Bickmore, Samuel Johnson, who use this in a really important and deliberate way because it kind of undermines a lot of good charity work that's come out of this. Do you think this will do damage to Tom Gleason's brand? No. Really? No. I think it will. I think it's elevated him to a point where he hasn't been in a really, really long time. I think it's given him a sense of relevance that he hadn't had in a very long time to an audience that might not have known who he was or what he's doing was. Interesting. I just wonder how poorly the asshole narrative could affect your career. I think we're in a bubble of kindness. Maybe. I think I, I kind of like the bubble. Oh, though. no, no, so do I. <laughs> and I'm not leaving the bubble. But I just think that there's a whole host of Australians out there that hate people that take themselves too seriously, that hate glitz and glamour and TV and think that these awards are dorky and just love a hero like Tom Gleason who's going to take the piss. But does that equal commercial success? What doesn't does matter. Success he works for the like? ABC. Nothing yeah, has actually, to be commercial. That's a fine point, Sarah McDonald. It's 12am in the morning. I'm surprised your brain is still working at this rate. I don't know. I think we might come to the same point, though, because I think the more, I think the benefit of having stewed on this for a few days, like we both have, like done a lot of reading and a lot of stewing, I have this weird sense, and maybe it's just super late on a Sunday night and we're just like <laughs> fucked, but I have this weird sense of sentiment about the Logies that I never had before. Like I, I I want desperately to champion local industry. And I was kind of annoyed when he took the piss out of local industry and said that we're all going to streaming services, even though we are. I think I want us to encourage local productions in a realm and time where that's hard and not as profitable. I want us to encourage an event with it seen Miranda Tapsell and Waleed Ali push for diversity and Noni Hazelhurst to call out a prime minister for asylum seeker treatment. I think glittery bogan nights that celebrate some of the most famous faces we have elevate some of the most important conversations we have. And I think that matters. Think about Kerry O'Brien's speech. Exactly. It was such a good, powerful moment. And I just think I'm just annoyed by people like Tom Gleason at this rate. I get that it's funny. I had a giggle too, but I just think he went, he veered off course just too much. And I'm not sure that it will reflect well in the headlines once this episode is live. I would love to know once this episode is live how the media is reporting this. I just wanted to end on one final Tom Gleason quote, which he said, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We can just have fun and be entertaining. I think that's too simplistic, particularly we come back to someone like Amanda Keller, who's been in the industry for 35 years, who's probably faced a fuckload of of sexism for a middle-aged white comedian to stand up on stage and say, nothing matters. We're just here to have fun. Completely discounts the work for a lot of minorities that go into actually getting themselves into that industry and getting themselves to a point where they're recognized for success. 
Thank you, next bitch. Just a quick note before we get into this segment, friends, that we will be discussing issues around rape and sexual assault and that the following conversation may be triggering for some listeners. It was the story that in any other world would and should have dominated international headlines. A high-profile veteran journalist accuses the President of the United States of rape. The world goes quiet. Last week, American journalist and longtime L advice columnist E. Jean Carroll released an excerpt of her book via New York Magazine's The Cut. In the piece, she accused Donald Trump of raping her over two decades ago in a Bergdorf Goodman change room. The allegation and story fell on deaf ears. American media didn't really report it, the accusation failing to create shockwaves. Mish, did this story grab you when it broke? I feel so bad for saying this, but no, not really. Don't feel bad for saying that. It didn't grab me at all. I saw it and I kind of made a mental note to say, oh, I'll go back and read that. But with so many other rape stories and sexual assault stories, I read them right there on the spot because they seized me. But it's almost like I am definitely suffering with this Me Too fatigue. Yeah, and I think it's I think it's twofold in this kind of case. It's like Me Too fatigue, but it's also Donald Trump fatigue. Yes. For a bit of context, E. Jane Carroll is now seventy five, and like I just said, is a and has been a long time advice columnist for Elle. She said the incident happened in the fall of nineteen ninety five or the spring of nineteen ninety six, and that she and Trump ran into each other in Bergdorf Goodman, where Trump convinced her to help him shop for a present in the lingerie department. Carol, and she quoted herself in in this piece saying, and as I write this, I'm staggered by my stupidity, which always makes me sad when I hear that before, Mm. an allegation like this one, said she went into the fitting room with Trump and that Trump allegedly shoved her against a wall, unzipped his pants and forced his penis inside of her. Eventually, Carol fought him and ran away. And I think most shockingly, and the thing that really grabbed me by the time I decided to get into this story and to be honest it was because we decided to to talk about it on this podcast and I think the reason we decided to talk about it is because we'd both actively avoided the story she hasn't had sex again yeah and that detail to me just hits me in the heart oh my god I think that felt like a slap I mean the rest of it obviously still feels like a slap but that that impact that something like this can have on you when Trump can just walk away and be completely fine is staggering and devastating. I think this says a lot about how we sell sexual assault stories in the media and why people click in. I think so much of making sexual assault cases interesting to the public relies on making them kind of sexy. It's kind of like sex gone wrong to get people in and there's so many gritty details or sordid details about the affair. And you need that like gritty power undercurrent to the story too. When I say need, it's obvious in inverted commas like in order for a story to be picked up there needs to be some like you're right sexy elements which is so gross so gross and I think it is that because Carol is now 75 Trump is 73 and I think that titillation isn't there when you're dealing with two elderly people and that's what really grabs me because this wasn't even put in the mainstream by really progressive publications like the New York Times the New York Times first released this article in their book section it did not make the homepage. it did not make a big splash at all it was kind of just like a little thing that was plopped in the ocean and no one said anything about it and then there was this 
groundswell of people asking, why aren't we talking about this? Why does no one care? Well, it was not on the front page of the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Los Angeles Times or the Chicago Tribune. The New York Post deleted their online story about it. And when there was that kind of groundswell of questions, and we say groundswell, but it still wasn't particularly loud. It was just loud enough for the New York Times to have to answer questions. Dean Bacay, who is the executive editor, was forced to answer these questions saying, where is this story? Why isn't it on a front page? Why is it barely on your homepage? And he said the critics were right. The Times had completely underplayed the article. Mm. I'm interested that you think age has a part to play in whether or not this story was going to go bananas or not. For me, I just can't see that fact being as, as relevant. I think you put any other president at 72 in this in this scenario, I think it's going to take off. In this case, Trump has been accused by about 22 women and those numbers change, shop and change across the, the the internet. But there are about 22 women who have accused Trump of something like this. We're so tired of it. We're not surprised anymore. Yeah. Well, 16 of those women have been marked as credible, which I mean, yeah. I would love to know what criteria that is. But Jessica Leeds, Kristen Anderson, Jill Harp, Kathy Haller, Temple Taggart McDowell, Karina Virginia, Melinda McGivilray, Rachel Crooks, Natasha Stoinoff, Jessica Drake, Nini Laksonen, Summer Zevros, Juliette Huddy, Alva Johnson, Cassandra Searles, Jean Carroll. Like that is exhausting to even read out. That's the number of credible women who have accused Donald Trump of sexual misconduct or sexual assault. It is baffling to me that we don't care. And I think the reason that women like Jean Carroll never come out or wait decades to come out and tell their stories is because the world shrugs at them. We've shrugged at every woman who has spoken up about Donald Trump. And when you see the world shrugging at you, how are you supposed to take it seriously? Like, Women who experience this are taught to minimise their own experience until they can't anymore because rape is never treated seriously. Perpetrators are never held to account or they very, very rarely are. We don't treat it very seriously as a society unless we make it sexy. So the women who are victims are taught to push it down and down and down and they're told the story doesn't matter and they're told that it shouldn't affect them and it's not until those women realise actually this really affects me even years later that they feel the courage to actually speak up about it and by that point their stories seem like they've been made up or fanciful or too suspiciously timed. Well, that's the thing. The question always arises every single time. Why didn't you raise this earlier? I think there's something to be said here, and you said before, it's baffling to me that we let this go, that there are 22 people, 22 women who have accused Donald Trump of something similar. It's not baffling to me at all because you and I spend a lot of our days in the news. We spend a lot of our time advocating for women and this story passed us by. And it's not surprising to me that it did. I think there's something to be said here for the fact there is no element of newness, no element of newness. I think that maybe to seize us in this climate, we need to be shocked. Like we need to be shocked when we are saturated with news, saturated with bad news, saturated with Me Too stories and stories about Donald Trump. It's not shocking anymore. And I think maybe for us, it's just kind of confirmation biases popping up already thinking, well, maybe that's what I thought of the man. And maybe it's true as well, allegedly. Mm. I am interested. Did you read Gia Tolentino's piece on this for The New Yorker? No. She wrote about Me Too fatigue and Trump fatigue, and her lead was really, really lovely. I wanted to read out part of her story. She started the story by saying, one of the things I have feared most since the night of the 2016 election is the inevitable hardening of my own heart. That's really nicely written. And really terrible to think about because I think, I feel like everybody thought the same. How much am I going to have to compartmentalize stories in the news?
news because there's going to be a lot. Mm -hmm. She went on to say, what I didn't imagine though and what actually occurred last week is that a respected and well-known writer would accuse the president of raping her and that I would be so sad and numb after years of writing about Trump's many accusers after watching Brett Kavanaugh get confirmed to the Supreme Court in the face of credible sexual assault allegations that I would not even have the courage to read the story for days. (sighs) If you, are, if you aren't reading the story, if I'm not reading the story, if Gia Tolentino is refusing to read the story, then I think we have a conversation to be had about Me Too fatigue, Trump fatigue, and what we should do when we're faced with stories that we are actively trying to push away. Mm. Because we can't bring in every bad news story. I agree. I really liked a really powerful piece in Elle Australia this week by Grace O'Neill as well. She wrote, I understand the temptation to throw your arms in the air and say, I can't take it anymore when another story like this is published. It's easier, less emotionally taxing to look the other way to bow out but the moment we fail to be shocked by a credible rape claim against the president of the united states is the moment defeat starts to feel inevitable that's really well put i think when stories like this pop up it's almost our responsibility when we do have that fleeting thought that goes through our brains to stop ourselves and say i'm not going to read that later i'm going to read it now Mm -hmm. now whether that's actually reading this story or going to a cheat sheet and reading the fundamental facts like i do think maybe it's our responsibility to let some of these stories in if nothing else to give them the respect Mm -hmm. because i do it just makes me wonder more and more and more what moves the needle of public opinion these days like i'm not sure when it comes to trump what moves the needle of public opinion Would it be a story about money? Like, would money get people? Probably the economy. Well, that's the thing. Amanda Marcotte wrote for Salon about the fact that this won't shift partisan opinion. Like, it's probably confirmed what you already thought about Trump. If you are in a pro-Trump camp, you're probably thinking that people are just coming out after him. If you're in an anti-Trump camp, you're thinking, yeah, well, this is what I already thought. And that's why it's not going to shift an opinion on either side. I think his pushing of fake news as well just completely undermines anything that could come out against him. It's the most evil but clever tactic all at once because... His supporters don't trust the media. So you could have a credible report come out anyway and they'll just say it's fake news. So Yeah, it's kind of that element of trust that's lost along the way. So I think, I don't know, that's what I'm going to try and take from a story like this, that, that next time there is Me Too fatigue in the pop culture celebrity news cycle, I'm going to try and engage with it. And I'm going to try and force us to engage with it, not just in our Facebook group, but potentially on the podcast too. And to push through it and know that the job's not done. There's still so many more stories out there that need our attention and need our ears, not just women, but men as well. And we should all be talking talking about this as much as physically possible. I think that's all we've got time for. I know, another long one. Oh my God, this episode's <laughs> just getting longer and longer. Thank you so much for listening to episode fuck knows what. Sorry, <laughs> so aggressive. It is so late. It's very late at night. Um, thank you once again for your brilliant support of Shameless, of Love Etc., of um, She's on the Money. What's that other one called? I know. <laughs> if you guys do want to support us, it's been a pretty wild week. Um... Look at her trying to find her words. Mm. It's been a pretty wild week. The best way that you can support us is by subscribing to those shows and leaving nice reviews. Yeah, so subscribing is really easy. We've actually had a few people comment on how easy it is because it sounds like something hard that you need to log on to iTunes to do or something like that. Absolutely not. If you're on Apple Podcasts, click the purple subscribe button if you haven't already. After doing that, scroll right down to the bottom of our show page. Click whatever stars you think we deserve. If you want to, write a nice review as well. But the stars and the subscribe is the main thing you can do for us. If you're on Spotify, please just click follow because that also helps us out in Spotify charts. Thank you once again. Thank you as always. We will be on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We will be on Facebook at Shameless Podcast Community and we will be in your ears. Look, to be honest, kind of on Wednesday with She's on the Money, but mainly on Thursday with another In Conversation episode that we are super excited to drop. Yay. Bye guys. Have the best week. Bye. 
Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.